Don't Hide the Scars, a weekly podcast focused on addiction and recovery. Created by the nonprofit Pain, parents and addicts in need, and founded by Flint Anderson. Tim Lodgen, thank you for joining myself, Jason Lachance, and founder of Parents and Addicts in Need, Flint Anderson, on the Don't Hide the Scars podcast. Hey, Tim. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah. Hey, Tim, did, did you ever think you'd become such an advocate of sobriety? <laughs> I never thought I'd be sober, much less become an advocate of sobriety. <laughs> um, what an amazing journey, my friend. Um, the gifts just keep on giving, and, and I'm so grateful to have this chance. You know, um, my addiction affected everyone around me, and I want my recovery to do the same. Yeah. Great way I'm to put it, that. Tim. You bet. So what point, and to kind of give people just some relevance of, uh, We'll, we'll give the the short version of it. Did substances yep. really come into your life and through your process? Because you've you've done rehab. You went and did uh, inpatient. You are a twelve step guy, much like myself. What in any of the unraveling have you found that you think led you towards substance abuse? Childhood trauma. Um, I, I I definitely started to realize that um, you know my father leaving at such an early age affected me when I really, I didn't think it did. Mm-hmm. You know, he, uh, him and my mom got a divorce when I was six or seven, I was in first grade. And, um, you know, I, I remember thinking it was my fault. I remember thinking I'm the reason they got a divorce. Cause I have a brother who's 10, almost 11 years older than me. And I'm like, well, you know, my father stuck around for him. He's almost graduated high school. I'm in first grade. Why is he leaving now? You know, am I the reason why my father's leaving? Because he, he just doesn't want to take care of me. And um, I remember, man, so many times after he moved out that he would call and be like, I'm coming to pick you up, Timmy. You know, back your bags. We're going to go to uh, amusement park or we'll go do this and go do that. And I'd be sitting at the front door with my bags packed an hour go by. Two hours go by and my mom would get the phone call from my dad. Hey, let him know I can't come this weekend. Um, I got to I got to work overtime or something came up. And after about the, the dozenth time, I wouldn't even pack my bags anymore. And I wouldn't even sit at the front door because I was already expecting him never to come and get me. Mm-hmm. And I started to think there was something wrong with me. Like, why doesn't my father love me? Why doesn't he want to be around me? And for a very long time, I, I kind of like, I pushed that down. And I think I, I took that and I used that to excel in sports. And, and I took that drive to try to find myself. Um, you know, my, I never knew my father's real father. I grew up with my father's stepdad as my grandfather, and he's Japanese. So I always thought, you know, for the first 12, 13 years of my life that my grandfather was Japanese mm-hmm. and come to find out my father never knew his real father. Um, he's from Germany. He came over to the United States when he was 18 years old. And long story short, my grandmother in World War II met a soldier with my last name lodging. Mm-hmm. And she asked him if she could use her, his last name and give it to my father. Mm-hmm. I'll be so it wasn't, yeah. yeah, it wasn't until... I was in my 30s that I found out my real last name is Souter um, from Germany. And I started to look up my family heritage and where I was from. And 
it's kind of funny because I'm still learning about my family. Um, just on Sunday when I celebrated my 46th birthday, my father told me for the very first time that my great great grandfather was an inventor in the 1800s and early 1900s. He owned a bunch of businesses. He was a multimillionaire, and he's still trying to find out what he invented. Right, darn. That gave me, like, I got, a, I got one of those feelings. Like, I have, com- I did come from someplace. Sure. My whole life, I've always thought I was different. Than, I always thought I could excel at stuff. Yeah. And I, and my, I always was born, I was born talented. So everything that I've done, I've always been able to do really good. And, and I, I learned really fast and I was really athletic. And um, I was always at the top of whatever I did, no matter what sport it was, I was always one, two or three. Even in the Marine Corps, I graduated as the guy, which is the, he leads the entire platoon in front of the squad leaders. I graduated as the company guy. So I was actually in charge of three platoons when I graduated. And I never knew where that came from because I never knew my family. Right. In high school, I didn't know any of that. And I was lost. Right. And I think I turned to drugs and alcohol to try to find something that I I, I didn't know was there. I, I was, I was, you know, I never knew I, that really affected me. I never knew my family. I never knew where. I always wanted to know where my father's father came from and his father, because I wanted to know what I stood for. I wanted to know what was inside of me. Like, did I have great men to follow? Did I have, you know, people that were addicts? Because I didn't know where the addiction part came from in my family. Mm-hmm. I was always searching for that. And um, you know, my, my aunts and uncles, they had parties and stuff like that, but it wasn't every single day. It was, a, you know, a cookout here and there or holiday. And, and no, nobody in my family were addicts. I mean, my father was a police officer and my mother was a bodybuilder. And then she became a vice president of a company. She had, I've seen her drink like five beers in my entire life. And I never could pinpoint where I got that addictive personality. So I, I think it was because I was lost. I didn't know my identity as a man, as a boy and getting sober and, and, and learning about myself and, and why I hated myself. Mm-hmm. I, I truly did. I, I hated myself and what I had become. And the more I drank and the more I drugged, I thought that would make everything better. When in, in reality, as we know now, the sober we get, it just makes things 10 times worse. Yeah. No, yeah. I can relate to exactly what you're saying. That's, a, that's the same way that I felt, you know, just to get yeah, I, I disconnected. I gotta, yeah, I got a question for you, Tim. Did you, did, and I hope this isn't too personal, but did you blame your father for not knowing who his father was and his father not knowing who his was? I never blamed him. I kind of blamed my grandmother a little bit because she never told me. You know, I, I, I was just raised as, you know, my, my, my grandfather, Harold, as my grandfather. Right. She was a very uh, personal person. So she didn't she didn't put her family issues out there. And it wasn't until, you know, I got older in my 30s and 40s that I found out my grandmother was uh, very promiscuous. And, and, <laughs> and she had a lot of boyfriends. And, uh, uh. you know, you, you know, the more you find out, the order you get about your family. And, um, but I, I, I kind of was always like, why was that hidden from me? Like, yeah, right. because that really did affect me. 
it, it truly did. And even on my mom's side, I never knew my mom's real father. I grew up with her stepfather as my grandfather. Right. Come to find out, my mom's real father was an alcoholic. He had hmm. multiple personality disorder. He molested some of my mother's sisters. Ooh. And he died at the age of 55 from alcoholism. Um, I never knew that until the past year or two. Since getting sober, my mom revealed that to me. So maybe that's part of where I got that addictive personality. Sure. And, you know, as you know, Jason, I have bipolar disorder. Right. So I'm kind of like, maybe that's where I also got my mental illness from was my mom's side of the family. You know, it, it's funny how the more sober I get, the more is revealed from my family's lineage. And the more things are starting to make sense to me. New Perceptions North, the premier drug and alcohol treatment and recovery center in Central California. A full continuum of medically supervised top quality care with programs for detox, inpatient residential treatment with dual diagnosis, intensive outpatient treatment, sober living, support groups, and more. With 50 plus years of combined experience and sobriety, Flint Anderson and Thelma Gatlin Wilson provide adult men and women with the highest caliber of professional health care, treating each client with compassion and respect in a safe, comfortable environment to begin the process of recovery to proudly create and sustain a life without addiction, call 559-978-1507 or visit newperceptionsnorth.com. Not in the same context as yours, Tim, but there's I've definitely learned since I've been working my sobriety, like really working it and talking with my parents that I think... The generations before us, I don't know if it was a lack of emotional maturity, that fear of being ostracized or what it is, but man, there was a lot of fucking skeletons in their closets. Oh, they yeah. Just a lot of shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, my my relatives came from Germany and Poland and Denmark and, and those places, and they didn't talk about anything. I mean, these people were about as closed mouthed as, as, as they got. But it was also interesting because it was a large family. It was it was enormously big. And so we were always doing things. And I actually met my great grandfather at one point. I think he finally died when I was like eight or nine. But but so I had that. I, I knew where everybody came from and, and I'd actually met some of these people. But I'll tell you what, to try to get these guys to talk about anything. I mean, you know, great aunts, great uncles. They were just very, very closed mouthed about a lot of stuff. But I also think it's that generation. You know, it's yeah. it's like the generation of, of, of our fathers that, you know, uh, that were, you know, during World War II and into Korea, you know, these guys just went off and did their jobs. They didn't talk about it. They didn't talk about their, their PTSD afterwards. They, they just did their jobs, came home, went to work, and that was pretty much it, you know. And if you got an occasional Saturday to do something with your dad, you were damn lucky, you know. Um, I, I think that's just the generation. I, I agree with you 100%. Absolutely. You know, men were supposed to be men to go to work. They, yep. did, they don't share their emotions. You know, they're, right. they're supposed to be the head of the household, the strong, right. the strong one. I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, I, re I remember one time, I must have been 11 or 12. And, um, and I don't know, I did something to piss my dad off. And, <laughs> and, and, and he came in my bedroom, and he was just furious. Now, my dad was really not an angry guy and he never hit, never did any of those things. But he was so mad at what he did that that he pounded the top of my dresser and there were some 
little 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 miniature horse statues on there and he hit it so hard that this one horse fell off and broke and my dad actually wept at the, at at oh. that point because it was something from his father okay that he had given him when he was a little kid and and that was the first time that i and the last time that i had only seen my dad my dad cry which I thought was pretty interesting. You know, they just held back those emotions. They just, they just didn't show them. I, I'll piggyback off of that. You know, um, two months ago, my daughter had uh, her baby showers. I just had my second grandson about uh, a week ago. Good for you. And um, it was the first time I had seen my father in almost four years. Wow. Um, we had, we, you know, I, I I actually lived on the same street as my father in my 20s. We were 30 houses away, and I saw him three times in three years. We just never had that, that father-son relationship. Um, you know, he would always take my, my brother out to go shooting or go to gun shows or go to movies. He would never call me. So I've dealt with that my entire life. I, have, I really have. And um, the baby shower came up about two months ago, and... My mom calls me and she's like, hey, just so you know, your daughter invited your father to the baby shower. He's going to be there. And I'm like, oh, shit, man. You know, I haven't seen this guy in four years. And the last time we talked, I was screaming at him on the phone because he, he, he called me a drug addict, alcoholic. And, and I was like, you don't know what I've been through. You're the cause of all this. Like, I never want to see you again. You're, to me, you're dead to me. And I hung up the phone. And that was the last thing I said to my father Whoa. four years ago. And um, so baby shower comes up and I'm sitting at the table and I'm filling out, we're playing, you know, baby shower games. I'm filling something out. And my mom comes over. She's like, your dad's here. And I remember getting for the first time since being sober, I got that freaking anxiety, hot feeling in my chest. I'm like, Oh Christ, I gotta go. I gotta go over and, and, and say something to him. And, and it wasn't for him. It was for me. You know what I mean? I had to go over and and heal that last wound that i know i've been holding on to in sobriety so I, I went over to him and i was like hey old man how you doing and um he looks at me and he starts to cry and he hugs me and he says how proud he is of me mm -hmm. and please don't ever let this long of a period between us go again he said son i love you and I've missed you for so long, and I'm really proud of you. And that was the first time I've ever seen my father cry, and he's 76. And yeah. it, it, uh, I wasn't expecting that. You know, isn't wow. it? Isn't it just? First of all, that's just wonderful. And and but the importance of fathers, you know, fathers and sons. Uh, yeah, look, I've got I've got two boys, and I really think sons were put on this earth to piss us fathers off. <laughs> uh, but uh, there, but there's also nothing like that relationship, you know, and, 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 and I now have that relationship with my boys again, you know, during, they were young when I was, when, when I got clean, but not really, one was 18, one was 13, you know, so they still saw it all. Uh, and it took a number of years, took about four years before, you know, we really started to build that relationship again, but, but now we have it, but going back, you know, the importance of dads in our lives is critical, you know, but it's also a big part of us in recovery to forgive, you know, because there's not a parenting manual out there. There no. just isn't. I wish there was, 
but there isn't. So, you know, we all have to keep in mind, our fathers were taught by their fathers. Their, those fathers were taught by their fathers and back and back and back it goes. And so it comes down to, you know, to us a lot of times is how, how do we want to change it with our kids, you know? Um, and, and, and I think if we just keep pushing forward, I'm hopefully in the, the next generations, they're, they're just going to get better and better. I mean, I, I can only hope, you know, but God to, 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 you know, for your dad and you to reunite again. I mean, that's, that's a beautiful thing right there, you know, Absolutely. because let me tell you something. I lost my dad back in 2008. And, uh, and even though we had a pretty good relationship, there were things that went undone and unsaid and un, unfixed, you know, uh, and I'll never get that chance. You know, yeah, and to be, I, I was so grateful to be able to look that man in his eyes as a sober man mm -hmm. um, and, and genuinely be able to look into his eyes, knowing that I was clean and sober. It, it, it was it was amazing. Yeah, Tim, I mean, that's not only, you know, Flynn, it's funny you bring up sons piss us off. This is true as we're all sons here. But uh, Tim, you're <laughs> a girl dad. And, you know, through I, I hope you don't mind sharing. We do have a a personal friendship, but you had a, some work to really do with healing with your kids. Once you came out of rehab, I did, you know, I have, uh, I have three daughters. My oldest is 24. I have 14 and 11 year old. And, um, oh, oh, oh. you got I, your hands I, full, man. Yeah. And they're all pretty. God damn it. So, <laughs> you know what that is? That's karma from high school. Yeah, because I was not a such, not a good young man in high school. I, I, I had my fun. A little bit too much, but, um, you know, me and my, my oldest daughter saw everything. I mean, I, I, I drank and drugs for 27 years and she's 24. So she saw the best dad, the worst dad and, and the devil. I mean, I, I, I was a son of a bitch. Thank God I was never physically abusive, right? but I sure as shit was verbally abusive to everybody in my house. And I said yep. the nastiest things to the people I love the most. Right. And um, I can never take those words back, but I can try to repair. And, and, and I have fortunately been given that opportunity to do so. You know, I, I went to rehab and did 32 days and I come home and, I guess I'm the typical 32 days. I'm like, yep. I went to rehab. You know, <laughs> when, when's my daughter going to talk to me? And my wife's like, Tim, you can't erase 27 years in 32 days. Right. You know, she's got to see action. She can't just see words. It's great that you went and it's great that you're sober and it's great that you're going to meetings and you're reading the books and, and, and you know, you're sharing at meetings. She says, but she needs to see more than just 32 days. Yeah. So I, I, I did accept that. It was hard to accept, you know, and then the second month came, third month came, fourth month came and my daughter lived in my house upstairs and she would just come in the house and walk right up the steps. She wouldn't look at me. She wouldn't talk to me, you know, and around the fourth month I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, she, she still hasn't talked to me. She still doesn't look at me. She's like, Tim, just, just give it time. Just give it time. You know, time, time will heal. And you, you just keep doing what you're doing. Keep going to meetings, keep staying sober and, and, and things, things will, will heal. And, um, the ninth month I'm, I'm just sitting at my house. I think I'm watching TV or something. I don't remember. My phone goes off and it's a text message and it's from my oldest daughter. 
<clears throat> and she's like, Dad, I just want you to know how proud I am of you. Mm-hmm. I, I thank you for giving me the time to heal because I know you were healing too as well. And I haven't told you this, but I love you and I'm so very proud of you. And I just wanted you to know that. And at that time, and, and I, I still put that, I chalk that up as one of my best gifts of sobriety that sobriety has given me is the ability to, to have a relationship with my children again. We've, we've, we talk now once a week. She moved out uh, about two months ago. Okay. And, and uh, yeah, she's on her own with her boyfriend. And since she's moved out, she's called me once a week to come over and, and fix an outlet or put in the air condition, <laughs> help cut the grass, you know, do stuff that a, a, a daughter would call their father, who's a carpenter, to come <laughs> over and do. Right. Where before she wouldn't have asked me to do a damn thing. She would have found somebody else to do it or just wouldn't have had it done. But those, those feeling that, that feeling of getting a call from my daughter and her saying, Hey dad, you have like an hour or two to come over and help us. And then I get there and I do what I, she asked me to do, regardless if it's something small. And then she hugs me and she gives me a kiss and says, she loves me. And she's so proud of me. Um, man, what a, what a gift. Um, yeah, that's good stuff. You know, I, I am truly grateful to be alive, much less to receive the gifts that 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 sobriety keeps giving me. It, it's truly amazing. You couldn't have told me this in rehab that I would get my life back like this and then some. I mean, now my buddy Brandon did tell me, you know, the day <laughs> that he called me uh, after sleeping in my truck for forty eight hours, and he calls me and he says, "Tim, I promise you, if you get on that plane tonight." You will get back everything you've lost times 10. Just get on the damn plane. Right. And um, I, I, I wanted to believe him. I did. I think he was lying, man, because I, I've gotten back 20, 30 times more than I ever could imagine. Yeah. My, my, my life of recovery and sobriety, the last 15 months, I think, has been the best of my life since since being in high school. I, I truly believe that. Well, I'll tell you um, something. It's going to get even better. All right. I mean, it's it's look, I don't believe in 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 horse races during during recovery. But, you know, I've got just a little over 21 years now. But I'll tell you what, in the in the fifth year, I'll never forget. Uh, my sons don't live at home. One lives in L.A. One lives here in Fresno. But. But I remember it was a Saturday morning and I was kind of in a pissy mood and probably because I couldn't play golf that morning. And, uh, uh, and and my son doesn't live with us, but he but he he's coming through the garage. It's like nine o'clock in the morning and he walks in and he dumps his laundry on the laundry room floor. Now, first of all, I look at him, I go, don't you have a washer and dryer at your house? You know, that, that not even good morning. Right. And and. I, he looks at me and he goes, did you use something today? This is five years into my recovery. And I look and my shoulders just shrugged, you know, because I, because I, I said something like, you know, pick your damn clothes up off the floor. So mom doesn't have to bend down to pick them up. Right. And he looks at me, and he goes, did you use something today? And I, and I just dropped my shoulders. I go, no, I go, really? I go, is that what you thought? And, and he goes, no, he said, but man, your attitude sure acted like it. And my point here is that 
it takes years sometimes for those memories for our families to start to dissipate, to start to go away. Because like you, Tim, I was, I was verbally abusive. I was that asshole. Okay. And, and those kinds of things don't leave right away. It, it takes a long time. And even from the fifth year to the 10th year, I, 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 would, I would find myself watching them to see what their responses and the looks were on their face if I were tired or if I came home late from somewhere, you know, and occasionally you get that double take, you get that, that look when I'm tired, when the right side of my face droops, right? And, and my wife's, you know, given the double take and I'm going, whoa, no, I didn't use anything. Do I need to pee in the cup? You know, I mean, you know, that kind of stuff, because it's important to them that you recognize that, that, that they're still going through some of this stuff. And they need to be rest assured that you're doing the right thing. Well, and I think it's one of those important components that when some people reach out to me, you know, early sobriety is I always talk about owning your own shit. Like, mm-hmm. you, you're, what is your part? Yes, there's the things you did. There's the things that unfortunately a lot of us do have traumas. Some of it, you know, in Flint's case was necessary, you know, going through all those surgeries. You and I, Tim, you know, some of it was evil. It was downright evil, abusive behavior towards children. Um, But we're go. We have to kind of go through that process of of really the inventory thing. What was my part in this? What did this person play in this? And I think it takes a while for people just to see that we're changing. Like some of my buddies at uh, three months in, four months in or whatever, like, dude, you're weird. You're different. It's like, I know. Yeah. Yes, I am. <laughs> That's a good thing. Right. You don't talk as much. I go, cause I'm not shit house drunk. What do you want? Right. <laughs> I'm not to tell you. My brain is calm. There's not a bunch of voices going off in my right. head. I don't know what to say. Right. Yeah. Or that we got to cover something up. You know, we got to cover oh. our ass somewhere. So we're always, we're always talking, right? Just to, just to throw people off track. You know, we don't want them coming mm-hmm. at this angle. So we're going to take this route to talk about stuff. Oh yeah. We, we, we had it mastered pretty good in those days. Or so we yeah. thought. So we thought, exactly. <laughs> we were always the last ones to find out, though. Exactly. Uh, so, Tim, how, when you went into treatment, and, I, and thank you for, for sharing about your mental health struggles, I think it's important for people to know that um, a lot of folks do succumb to addiction or substance abuse uh, that struggle with mental health. What kind of was that process for you in treatment? Because you were off meds at that when you were using, am I correct? Yeah. So, um, you know, at the age of 14, I was diagnosed with bipolar, but my mom wasn't an advocate for using medicine in teenagers. So she was just like, you know, you're just an emotional kid. You, you know, you're very, um, uh, you like, you're a go-getter, you know, you like to play sports. Or you, or you, I mean, it actually helped me playing sports. It helped me in the Marines because I would get in manic modes and, and I would go, 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 go. And I wouldn't stop. And I would go until I was the best and, and there was no downtimes. Um, and then when I got back from the Marines and I went through my, my three months of kind of, I'm going to say um, decompression from not being in the service anymore. And I fell into that deep depression. As, as you remember, if you do remember, I found myself with my stepfather's gun in my lap, contemplating taking my own life at the age of 20. And um, my mother took me back to the doctors and, um, 
they they re-diagnosed me for bipolar one manic depressive disorder and they got me on medicines and so from the age of 21 all the way up until i went to rehab at the age of 44 i i would do the the, the typical addict cycle where i would i would start medicines yeah i wouldn't tell the doctors that i was using drugs or alcohol so their solution was well maybe that medicine isn't working let's up the dosage well, okay, well, that's not working. Let's add this. Well, those two aren't working. Let's add a third. We really don't know what's going on now. So let's take all your vitals, your blood. Okay, well, those three combinations weren't working. So let's try this. And then I would do the typical, I'm feeling good now. So I don't need to take the medicine. So I'd stop right. taking it. And, and that was that was a, a vicious cycle for 20 plus years, uh, being on, being off never being honest with my doctors telling them that I was abusing drugs and alcohol. So it didn't, re it didn't matter what dosage, what mixture they were putting me on. It was never going to work because I had right. drugs and alcohol in my system. Right. It's not designed to work with drugs and alcohol. Right. So it never was going to work, but I was never open to them telling them that I was drinking every day. I was using drugs. So when I finally, you know, when I had that experience in the airport, Jason, when, and, and, and I'll tell Flint real quick, you know, I, um, my buddy Brandon told me when I get to the airport, call him when I get past security because he wants to, know, wants to make sure I'm getting on the plane and that I'm not jumping in a cab and, and leaving and taking off. <laughs> so I get to the airport and I call him. I say, Brandon, I'm past security. I got about 30, 40 minutes before I'm about to, the plane leaves. And all he says is, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're going to get back everything times 10. And he hangs up the phone. When I go to sit down in the chair, waiting for them to board the plane, I get this overwhelming feeling of hope mm -hmm. that came over my entire body. It was a feeling that I've never felt before. My whole body got warm and something in my head said, everything is going to be okay. I truly believe that I had that, that psychic change sitting in that chair in that airport before going to rehab. So when I got to rehab, I was 100% honest with the, with the doctors and the physicians and the psychologists and psychiatrists about my 20-some-plus-year run of, of medicines that I took and the drugs and the alcohol that I took because I was finally done. I, I, I just, I, I was done, man. I, I was after 27 years, I, I finally was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And yeah. I was ready to be truthful with myself and be truthful with the doctors and, and to finally close that chapter, chapters of my life and start a new one. And the only way I could do that was to be honest with myself and honest with the doctors and get down to, to the solution, not the problem. Mm -hmm. And and by doing that, you know, I now I'm on I'm only on five milligrams of, of my bipolar disorder medicine, and I'm only on a hundred milligrams of um, my antipsychotic medicine, which is the lowest dosages I've ever been on since being on medicine in my twenties. And go figure, it's because it freaking works when you don't have drugs and alcohol in your system. <laughs> you know, Tim, that is that is the biggest fight that I have with parents. You know, mo most of the time, parents are always looking for that reason why their kid is is using drugs and alcohol to begin with. And, you know, they'll say, well, well, you know, he's he's been diagnosed with bipolar. He's been diagnosed with ADHD, ADD, blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing. And the kid's 
16. All right. And it, and it's like mom and dad, sometimes your kid's just a good old fashioned drug addict. Sometimes they just, sometimes they just like to get high. Right. I, I mean, I understand parents not believing that their kids are actually doing this stuff and I'm not taking away from mental health issues. Believe me, I'm not, but there are so many families out there that that want their kid to almost be bipolar because they can't believe, oh shoot, that they can't believe, <laughs> I'm getting all fired up. They can't <laughs> believe that their kid's actually doing this. So it has, there has to be another excuse or reason behind it, you know? And, I'll, and, I'll, and I'm sorry, a lot of times there's no reason behind it. Gee, mom and dad, maybe you're the reason behind it. You know, maybe, maybe you want no. your kid to be, maybe you want your kid to be the starting first baseman on a, on a, on a, on a high school baseball team. That's the best in the state of California and your kid sucks. Okay. And the, you know, and they're not going to make it. Uh, or maybe you wanted to be first chair violin when the kid actually could care, could care less about playing music, but you know, they're using drugs. That's the reason why they're taking something to make you disappear. You know, I mean, but 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 again, the, the mental health thing, you, you don't know how many times I've said the same thing you've just said until somebody gets clean off of the drugs. I'm not talking about being clean and sober yet. I'm just talking about getting the drugs out of one system. Then you can be able to determine if there is a mental health issue, you know, lying underneath that, you know, yeah. because then, like you said, Tim, the medicines are going to work as long as they're not using the other crap. Yeah. Well, you know, again, well, well said. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, 100%. And, 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 and I, I used to be like, why did it take me 27 years to figure that shit out? <laughs> <laughs> because we just but like to get drunk and high. We like to on. get high. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but th that's part of my story. That's part of my journey. Mm -hmm. And yeah. without going through 27 years of that, I wouldn't have been able to sit here and talk to you on this podcast. Right. I wouldn't be able to have the gratitude that I have today. I would have, I would have shit it all the way and went right back to drinking and drugging again. Yeah. And 27 years is just my story where it, it 10 years might be somebody else's five years, 20 years, but 27 years for me is, is what my heart headed ass needed to go through yeah. to finally get it. And I don't resent that anymore. I actually accept it. And, um, you know, I, I kind of thank my higher power that I'm an addict and have mental illness problems because I look at the world a lot differently now than I ever did. And, and I'm, um, it's eye-opening and it's, it's, it's beautiful. And um, I get to possibly help somebody there it is. That, thought, that thought maybe they were hopeless and um, they were the only one that that were possibly going through this and nobody could know their pain. Right. And uh, that is furthest from the truth. Um, going back to what you said in the beginning, the generational thing, I, I think it may not be as bad as it was, but people really don't share their feelings. Right. They really don't let other people in. And, and you know, they, they smile at you when the people that smile the most are hurting the most inside. And the more that we talk, you know, the one more person that we help is one less person that could die from suicide or addiction or mental health. And um, I'm blessed to be here and, and I'm using what my higher power has given me to, to try to reach as many people as possible. And it's just I finally found my purpose that I was looking for for 27 years. 
and, and, I, and I really truly believe that I was saved to, to get the message out that we're not alone and we don't suffer alone and there's help out there and we can change our lives. And yep. it's a beautiful thing, man. It really truly is. Oh, it, 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 it definitely is. And you know, the other, the other thing is this, I, I think th- there's a lot of us that had decades <laughs> that, 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 that we were using and there's only one reasonable explanation why we're still here is that our higher power had a better use for us because, you know, 23 years, Tim, you 27 years of, of, of us out there gunning and running and, and doing it all. Are, are you kidding me? I mean, we should have been dead a long time ago. So, so there was a, there's a purpose behind all of that. There's a person, there's a purpose for Jason and there's a purpose for, for you and me and everybody else that's, that's maintaining their sobriety. Now, not everybody has to work in recovery or not everybody is going to work in recovery or pass on their message of sobriety. But I'll tell you what, because I never wanted this on my resume, to be honest with you. You know, I, I, I thought I was going to go back to my business and I was going to do, you know, for that, that for that next seven years after I got clean, this is the last damn thing I wanted to do. But all of a sudden, you know, in the middle of the night, uh oh, here comes that little soft, quiet voice, you know, that says, I want you to go right. I don't want you to stay where you are, you know, and it's like, oh, God, really? Do I, <laughs> you know, is this a road I have to go down? And then the good Lord's just going, uh-huh. Uh huh. If 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 you want if you want to stay sober, please listen to me this time, right? And 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 okay, hard headed me. This time I'm going to listen. Well, but by the way, it has this hasn't been easy either, you know. But I tell you what, I'd rather be sitting right here talking to you two guys, all right, and spreading this message out there than doing anything else. That's for damn sure. Absolutely. Flint, let's talk about something that you bring up a lot too. That um, and I see it through you, Tim. Is um, some people can confuse their servitude to the sober and recovery communities for their recovery. Can you speak on that a little bit? And Tim, did you kind of was that a struggle for you? Because man, you are out there, like talking about your personality, but you get out there. But I see that it's not your servitude doesn't. It, like Flint, this is a Flintism. We need to start putting these out there. Flintisms, you know, it can't be your, your servitude can't be your recovery. They're two different things. Yeah, working in recovery is not one's recovery. You know, that's the, at least that's that's what I believe. Every every, and I I am also a firm believer, and I'm just going to say it, Tim, because even though you've got 15 months, if somebody's going to work in recovery. With with my treatment center, we have we have a philosophy that we don't hire anybody that doesn't have two years of, of sobriety under their belts. Now, that's not saying you can't go on and speak at, at, at meetings and, and help people and do those kinds of things. But as far as actually working in treatment somewhere, to me, that's not a good move in the first couple of years because you're still, there's a lot of reasons why. You're still getting your feet wet. You still don't know what road to travel down. Uh, what happens if you relapse uh, and you're working in recovery? That could blow somebody else's recovery. I mean, there's a lot of different things that can go wrong there, but it's important that if if you've got three years, four years, five, 10, whatever it is, and you're working in recovery, for those that are listening, please maintain your own recovery elsewhere. 
it's just important for us all. I mean, that's just that's just my philosophy on it. No, I agree with you. It's like building a house with no foundation. You're, eventually, yeah. it's going to crumble. Yeah. You know, you definitely have to get that foundation base. You definitely have to understand the recovery and sobriety and, and your traditions and steps and yourself, you know, and I'm learning something every day. I, I truly am. I, I really am. And, and, um, you know, to answer Jason's question, yeah, I'm just doing this to help somebody. Um, I really truly believe man, that, that, that sitting in an airport, something happened to me. And something that, that told me everything was going to be okay was not from me. Yeah. And, and the, you know, there was, there have been, I, I actually stopped using the word coincidence because since I've been sober, there have been too many things that have happened to me that cannot be coincidence. It's almost like you are here at this time in your life where you're supposed to be. And this is what you are supposed to be doing. Right. Um, I still go to my meetings each week. I still speak at my home group, but there's only 30, 40 people in my home group, you know, and, and I've heard all their stories 10 times and, and I know almost what their second and third sentence is going to come out of their mouth. Right. And that's great. But how are we going to help people around the world if, if we're not talking about this, if we're not trying to reach as many people as possible who are suffering with mental illness and addiction, right. if we're not. You know, we, we all used out loud, so why don't we recover out loud? Yeah. Let's make this not not a normality, but an acceptance. Like, like, it's okay to have a mental illness. It's okay to have addiction, and it's okay to speak about it. Um, I'm not ashamed of being an addict anymore. Right. Um, right. I, I really don't. I, I think it was given to me for a purpose to use to help those um, who are suffering. And I don't use these podcasts as, as like, oh, I'm gonna, everybody's going to see my face, this, that, and the other. Right. I just feel as if I got to, I, I have so much to say about it. And I, I'm passionate about it. I, I'm not, I don't write shit down. I don't make stuff up. I tell it how it is. And, and, uh, the truthful feelings that I feel about being in recovery and sobriety, I can't hold in, man. I, I gotta, I gotta tell people about it. And yeah, it does make me feel better to speak. I mean, these are, these are, this is like having a little miniature meeting. Absolutely. Right. You know, when two or more gather, it's a meeting. Right. Um, so these do help get, get more things out. And every time I do speak, I do remember something else that I may have forgotten. This isn't anything that's going to keep me sober. This isn't anything that's going to keep me on the path of recovery. Me going to my meetings, me talking to my sponsor, me reading about the 12 steps, the 12 traditions, me actively working my program of recovery, not sobriety of recovery, because anybody can be sober and be, be miserable. Right. I truly believe working the, 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 the life of recovery, finding out about yourself, finding out why you you know, as we know, alcohol and drugs are a byproduct of something else that is going on in your life. Loving yourself again. Yeah. I truly love myself for the first time since being a kid. Um, I can look at myself in the mirror 
and be proud of the person that stares back at me. Right. And I want others to know that they can also do the same thing. Yeah. Cause I'll tell you what, that's, that was an ugly feeling for me, you know, in my using days when I'd be in front of that mirror, you know, and, and, and literally being in front of that mirror and that face looking back, just going, Oh God, you lying son of a bitch, you know, look, look what, who you are, look at what you've done. But there was that little voice inside of me going, you know, again, it was, it was my higher power going, this is not who I created. This is, you know, that was a constant reminder. This is not who I created. And even though I took it on for 21 years or 23 years, whatever the hell it was, um, you know, it it, it, it it was that voice was always there. But, you know, Tim, you said something earlier that's that was so important. And that was about what um, uh, your wife said about uh, about with your daughter and that she's going to want to see some action, you know, um, and, and, and I can just relate it today to, to, to what I do. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm like you, this isn't for my face to be out there and the public eye and all that for, for my own edification. This is, this is for recovery. This is getting the message out there, but because of, and, and I, and I will, I will own this and I'm, and I'm proud of this because of my actions, because, and I think you should be too. And Jason, you too. And everybody else that's out there in recovery, be proud of the good actions that you have taken since you since that first day you walked into a rehab, it, it is, it is, you wear that with a badge of honor. And as time goes on, the people around you, people you don't even know, people will come out of the woodwork. I had a guy come in today that obviously I can't mention any names. I haven't seen this guy since college, hmm. since college, but he heard about what I was doing because there's a family member that needed my help. I mean, um, it doesn't get any better than that, you know? So, and, and again, that's not arrogance. It's not prideful. It's not, oh, look at me. No, that's the outcome of, of, of the work that I have put in. That's going to be the, the outcomes for you guys of the work that you put in to this. And as long as you maintain that sobriety over the years, you're going to have people crawling out of the fucking woodwork Okay, to search you out to go, hey, man, can you answer this question for me? Seriously. And what and it doesn't get any better than that. You know, a lot of people will go, oh, you, you know, everybody's just doing this for, to, to, to be hurt. Well, yeah, I am. I am doing it to be hurt because I want to help the next person and the next, next person down the line. So what if I keep my mouth shut and then nobody's going to hear me and nobody's going to hear the message? That's the way you got to look at. At least that's, again, my opinion. Yeah. How the hell are we going to connect? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll show you something with you real quick that, I, that that's been one of the coolest messages I have gotten from doing a podcast. About two months ago, I did an uh, Instagram live with a gentleman um, who's, who's in recovery. He's in the sober app. Um, he owns Inspire to Inspire. It's a nonprofit organization. His name is Mike Fiore. And um, we did an IG live and we were just randomly going over things about recovery and, and we got to the topic of, of of when i gave up hope and um you know i took those 18 percocets and i drank a 12 pack of beer and i and i prayed not to wake up yeah. and i woke up the next morning you know and then we talked about you know when, which i'll share with flint real quick the, the day that i uh that brandon called me and i went home 
to take a shower and eat something and, and pack my bags for recovery that, you know, my addiction tried one last time to tell me that I wasn't good enough and, and I shouldn't go to recovery. And, and he grabbed me by my hand and took me in the basement and put a rope around my neck and stood me up on a bucket and told me to jump off. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife luckily came down and, and saw me in the corner of the basement in the dark. And, um, and told me everything was going to be okay and to get on that plane. And I did. So we were doing this live IG and um, it was about an hour long. And, and, and then we get off and like 20 minutes goes by and I get this message. And I couldn't pronounce his name. It, it, the guy's from Switzerland. It was a crazy, crazy name. I couldn't pronounce it. But uh, he's like, I don't mean to bother you, but I just wanted to send you this message. He said, my family is in the Ukraine right now getting bombed. They've been there for two weeks and we can't get them out. I had lost all hope that they're going to survive. He said, and for some reason, I just happened to be on Instagram and your live popped up. And I tuned in right at the exact moment that you were talking about never to give up hope that things can always change as long as you don't give up hope. He's like, I hung up the, I, I, the IG got off and I hung up and I looked at my wife and I said, we can't give up. We can't give up. We got to try to get him out. He's like, and I just want you to know that without those words of not giving up hope, we were about to throw in the towel. I was like, wow. Three weeks later, I get another message from him and it was a voice message. And he said, Tim, I, I had to get you the, to tell you that we got my family members out of the Euro- Ukraine Beautiful. safe and sound. He's like, my wife kept telling me we can't do it. We can't do it. And he goes, the only thing I kept hearing in your, in my voice was your head saying, don't give up hope. And he said, and I would yell at her. We can't give up hope. We can't give up hope because when we got him home a couple of days ago, He's like, I really wish you were here in Switzerland so I could give you a big hug and a kiss. He said, because you truly helped us through the darkest time of my life. Not amazing. What an amazing message to receive from across the country. You bet. That, you know, and, and that, that falls under that coincidence thing. It wasn't a coincidence that he just happened to open Instagram Live right. and happened to turn on at that exact moment that I was talking about not giving up hope. Right. He was meant to hear that message at that time for, his, for him and his family to get through that I can't explain those that type of things that are happening. Yeah, but Tim, the, 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 first of all, amazing story. That's that's beautiful. But but also, I, I want you to think about this. That's amazing for you. Okay, it was amazing for him that he got his family out of there. But but but, brother, take take pride in the fact that yeah, it was your voice that he heard. You were, you were put there for a reason. There are no coincidences in this, all right? I love that fact, but I also want to say this. I don't know your wife, okay? I've never met her. You've never met mine. I've been married to the same woman for it'll be 43 years in July, and I shouldn't be, okay? <laughs> you got to love, right? You got to love. That's a whole other podcast because we're going to come back and do that one. All right. Because I'll tell you what, these women are are 
talk about amazing and angels and, and, you know, your wife found you in the basement. Mine saw me in the corner of one of my kids rooms sitting there in my underwear with a, with a, with a, with a Glock sitting next to me. Okay. You know, I, I mean, for these women to have lived through what they lived through with us and to still be with us and to give us that strength I'm telling you right now, it, 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 it's, it, they're saints. They are absolute saints in this. And, and, and I was telling somebody last Friday night, we were, we were at a function and, and there were some other ladies at the table and, and they were kind of asking about me and what, what I did. And my wife was filling them in and this, these women looked at my wife and go, God, you are a saint, you know, <laughs> and, and I and I looked at these women because I just kept my mouth shut during the whole thing. And I finally looked over at these women and I said, yeah, she is, you know, I mean, I don't know where I'd be without without my wife. You guys either, by the way, uh, I agree with you 100 percent. Yeah. Tim, do you have any final words you'd like to leave uh, the listener with? I just want everybody to know that, that you know. You're not alone if you're dealing with mental health or addiction. You know, you're not alone with the pain you think you're suffering. You're not, you know, you're not alone with family trauma. Everybody has a past. Everybody has a story to tell. Their help is out there if you truly want to get it. And I'm going to say truly want to get it because it doesn't matter if your family wants you to get it. If if the your school wants you to get it. If the courts wanted to get, want you to get it, you have to want to get it. I can't drive you to the, to the rehab and, and push you through the front doors. If you don't want it, you're the one that has to want to go through those front doors. And when you go through those front doors, you know, it's not the gates of heaven letting you in. It's the gates of hell letting you out yeah. and you become a new person and you live a new life. And it is more amazing than I ever could have imagined. Sobriety and recovery has made me a new husband, son, friend, and father. A better person than I ever thought I could ever be. And um, I'm truly grateful to be alive. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be asked to do this podcast and speak the messages. And, and I just want people, please don't give up hope. Don't give up hope because... The help is out there and you can live the life your higher power always had waiting for you. Absolutely. Clint, you got anything else you want to wrap us up with? You, you know what, Tim, thank you so much for this. It's an absolute pleasure meeting you. Uh, I, I seriously, man, I want to do another one of these and, and talk about our wives. All right. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because these, these, these women, uh, they deserve all the credit, you know, in, in my book, that's, that's for damn sure. For these women, to, with you. right? For these women to put up with our asses for all that time is <laughs> is just uh, amazing. But listen, my friend, I'm proud of you. Okay, you've got Thank you've you. got 15 months under your belt, man. You just keep going because you're gonna you're gonna get more and more and more out of this than you would ever think, and it's gonna keep on coming, buddy. But like like us and like me, no matter how much time you have or how little time you have. It's still one day at a time. 
If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, please call Parents and Addicts in Need at 559-579-1551 or check us out online at painnonprofit.org. Follow us on social media at Pain Nonprofit. Please subscribe to the podcast and share with others wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. To donate, please click the link in the description and help us save more lives gripped by addiction. This podcast contains the views and opinions of hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page.